Welcome to episode number 69er of the Stick to Hockey podcast. What's going on? It's Jason Bertitas. It's Russ Cohen at Jason Mert on Twitter at Sportsology on Twitter for Russ. What's going on, Russell? Ah, you know, same old, same old. Good part of the hockey season. Nice time of the year. Yeah, this is a great part of the season, isn't it? You got the the trade deadline looming on the 24th, but it's weird because the deadline's on a Monday. I know. That, that I don't, part's I don't not like good. a Monday deadline. Me neither, but it's still an exciting time where a lot of things happening. We'll all count how many scouts are in the press box and think of what trades might happen and might not. And I just got back from the bean pot, so that was exciting. And yeah, good time of the year. Well, let's start there. You were up at the Bean Pot, and uh, mm-hmm. it's one of the great traditions in collegiate athletics and, and in hockey, frankly. What did you see up there? What I saw was uh, a really bad call uh, late in the game in double overtime, and Northeastern gets a power play goal, and they win it, and BU loses Northeastern three-peats. And now today we learned that the referee who made that call uh, isn't going to refereeing over the weekend but it's yes, not like all that but it's not like they said we made a mistake but of course they made a mistake and the bu coach was really really mad and northeastern's guy was like hey i you know i i get the frustration but you know a win's a win and so that part's a shame but it was really loud it was uh the atmosphere was just tremendous and really it is one of the great games and that was uh the second longest and i think the biggest crowd they ever had Wow. At TD Garden, yeah. Wow, no kidding. Well, yeah, it does. It draws a good crowd. It's a great rivalry every year and uh, one of those great traditions in all of collegiate th- athletics. Um, what's your favorite building to watch a college game in? I, I still like Baker Rank, even though it's absolutely. Hobie? Yeah, Hobie Baker Rank. In, Me too. On Princeton, even though it's absolutely freezing, uh, it's just got so much character. You know that it's been there uh, for all. Well, I don't want to say, I want to say like 90 something years. Yeah, it's uh, second years, old, yeah. yeah, it might be 100 now. It's the second oldest rink in the country. It's just it is tremendous. You're right above you're right on the action. I love it. Yeah, I've been there a few times. I called a bunch of Princeton games uh, years ago uh, with our good friend uh, uh, from KYW, Ed Bankin. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, at that rink. And it is it's just so much charm to it. Yeah. It's the old barn and it is just incredible. I would definitely recommend people get there to see it because it is very, very cool. Only holds about like 2,100 people, too, so it's really yeah, great atmosphere. It is. It's All right, tremendous. Russ, we got a ton to get into because, as we mentioned, the trade deadline is coming up. But let's start in our own backyard with the Philadelphia Flyers because um, we're, we're looking at this playoff in the Eastern Conference, this race to the playoffs. And it's essentially we know that there's five teams that are go or four teams that I feel like we know are going to get in and the Atlantic division, that's Boston and Tampa Bay. And in the Metro, that's the capitals and the penguins. Like right. those four teams have reserved parking, right? Yep. It's the other teams that don't have a spot yet or don't have at least reserved. They go in and they, they, they get a, a lanyard to park there for a couple of days, but then they get told to go back out to general pop. And that's the Toronto Maple Leafs, the New York Islanders, the Columbus blue jackets, the flyers, the hurricanes and the Panthers. Now this is this six of the top twelve teams in the NHL come from the Metropolitan Division. Can you explain this? No, I mean the only thing I could say is, you know, like with Columbus, they're just getting unreal goaltending and and great coaching. With Florida, they seem to be gelling late. With the Flyers, they're 
seemingly hanging on. They give you three good ones, two bad ones. And the Islanders, I think, really do have the third spot reserved. I think when we're talking mm. about the other teams, uh, we're talking about wild card or how the Atlantic finishes. That's just me, though. Okay, so you think you think the Islanders are the team that's going to lock? Now they're only two points behind Pittsburgh for the second spot, but right. they're only so two points be, ahead it, of the Flyers or, or ahead of the Columbus Blue Jackets. Yeah, I think it could go either way with with Pittsburgh and the Islanders, but with Pittsburgh's addition of Jason Zucker, I yeah. think that'll keep them ahead. And I don't think the Islanders are going to drop out of there. Now they could for a couple games or so, but ultimately, I think it's their spot. Yeah, well, you look at the Islanders' upcoming games. They get a four-game road trip that starts actually tonight uh, upon taping in Nashville, in Vegas, in Arizona, and at Colorado. That's a tough four-game trip. That's a tough, but you come that's home, tough. and you get Detroit and San Jose at home and, and the Rangers. Yeah, so there's the trade-off. That's the trade-off. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't believe in – you and I are in disagreement on the Islanders. I don't believe – I think they're a team that could fall out. I don't believe in the goaltending, um, but we'll see how that plays out. Um, you're right, though. These teams, one day it's going to be three teams are in. The next yeah. day, it's three of those teams are out. It's just going to be wild the way this breaks down over the next couple of weeks. Uh, let, let's talk about the Flyers because um, they've been a team of Jekyll and Hyde, and they're in an interesting schedule position right now as well. They got Florida tonight, who they beat on Monday night at home in Carter Hart's uh, return. First of all, what did you think of Carter Hart's return? He looked pretty solid, I thought. 31, 31 shots, 30 saves. Yeah, I only got to see some highlights because I was up in Boston at that point, probably watching the game at Providence. Uh, but, no, he, lo- he looked good. Uh, they're good at home. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't worry too much about the home games, although they've won so many home games, you kind of wonder if they're going to slip once or twice because you can't really count on them on the road. They've had some good road wins, but, again, not fully, not enough for me. So, yeah, that game was a good one, and then they couldn't follow it up. Well, Ross, the big the, the big question now, Ross, is this: is Shane Gostisbehere? He comes back from the injury, gets put into the lineup, has a rough night in that five nothing loss against the New Jersey Devils. He goes back to being a healthy scratch. Where well, Lane Vigneault said maybe we brought him back too soon. He didn't have enough practices. They go to Washington. They get that huge win, seven to two. They beat Florida. Uh, they get that 4-1 win. They lose on Tuesday to New York. But when do you put Shane Gostisbehere back in the lineup? How do you handle this situation? I need some Russell Cohen advice on how Elaine Vigneault should handle the reinsertion of this player. Or do you reinsert him right now? I would have to put him in tonight. I mean, if I have hopes of trading him or making really any trade at the deadline, it probably has to include moving him. But it's going to be really kind of hard to trade him if no scout can see him in the last two weeks and see if he's progressing and what he might be able to do on another team. So at some point, Vigneault's got to play him good or bad just to, to have him, you know, show that he's healthy. Well, I mean, but he's also in a situation where he's got to field the best team out there because he's in a tooth and nail race for a playoff. Okay. So does he make them a better team or is that taking a little risk? No, it's taking a little risk, but I mean, if I'm choosing between, let's say Robert Hogg, or, or Shane Gostaspear, and I'm keeping Gostaspear away to keep Hogg in there because I believe the defense is better. Is that much better than what they might receive in a trade? No. So I think I have to still roll the dice. I mean... Yes, yeah, Hogg's not the guy I would take out. I would take okay. out Phil Myers before I so, took him out at the time. But even with Myers, same thing. You do that, and 
again, what it, you have to look at it. To me, I'm looking at it like the plus side of the trade will be greater than if you sat Gaza Spear and had either one of those two guys in there at the moment, the way they're playing. Yeah. But Vigneault seemingly wants to play it safe, and he might kill Fletcher's chances of trading him by doing that. All right, so so what is the problem with Gossis Bear? Has he not fit into this system? Is his skating that much different than it was a few years ago in the NHL? Is it the lack of ability to win board battles? What is it about his game that's not working right now? I mean, the skating seems fine, and, and the shot is there. It's just not always accurate. But the shot's there, the skating's there, the decision-making's iffy because he's still lacking confidence. And I don't know what it's going to take to fully bring his confidence back. Has he lost confidence because he hasn't fit in the system? Yeah, I think that's fair to say that there's something to that. Has he really found a partner this year that's worked out in this system? Not really. And I don't think that's necessarily on the team, but I'm just saying it just, that's just a fact. He just hasn't really gelled with anybody. I, I don't think he's instantly gotten horrible overnight. I just think if he had two or three good games in a row, you might start seeing him again. But to play, to have two or three good games in a row, you actually have to play two or three in a row. Yeah, and then you have to take advantage of that opportunity. It's interesting because Chuck Fletcher in the offseason did go out and make a couple of additions defensively and changes with the Gudis trade for Niskanen. That was, and you knew the intention of that was to pair him with Provorov and really help your number one D-man, and it has. And then the addition of Braun, but you're right, there's not really a dance partner for Shane Gostisbehere. No. And, and again, that's not Gostisbehere's fault, mm. but it is what it is. You have to deal with it. You have to make the best of it. I mean, just at some point, you do have to make the best of it. And that's, you know, that's the fluid part of the Flyers' defense, I would say, because, again, in that game against the Islanders, that first period, they gave up multiple two-on-ones. Now, if people want to pin it on Elliott and say, well, you should have stopped the second one, yeah, that's all well and good, but any two-on-one you're at a disadvantage as the goalie. You just are. I I said this uh, on Flyers Daily, Russ. I said a goalie would rather face a from the red line in breakaway than a two-on-one with a forward back as as the defender. Yes, no question about it, because then it becomes really unpredictable. And when there's a forward back there, then the goalie doesn't even know what the tendency is going to be for that forward, where the defenseman, he's pretty sure, because he knows those guys really well. Exactly. And, And the other thing is, on breakaways or shootouts, the goalie stops at 83% of the time. The right. On a two-on-one, and especially with a forward back there, I bet you the rate of goals on those is probably around 65%. I bet you that's about right, yeah. yeah. And so they, you know, they cast both of those, but how many times have we seen two-on-ones this year, home and away? Too many times. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was a dual activation by both Sanheim and Myers, leaving Scott Lawton back there. Yeah. And look, it's not on Lawton. That's not what he does. No, that's not his no. game. But he's got to either take away the pass completely or take away the shot. He didn't right. either. And when right. they try and do both, Elliott winds up looking bad in his net. And a lot of people did. They wanted to blame Elliott. Well, they did. You know, he, he, he was overplaying it on the right side. Well, he did because he had to overplay the shot because if he doesn't, he looks, he's coming off that post and it's an easy short side goal. He had no other option. Yeah, no other option. I totally agree. Uh, that was not on the goaltender. How about the, the shot that uh, took the lead for the Islanders? Uh, the Pollock shot, the, the, the blast. I mean, an absolute bomb from the point just inside the uh, crossbar in the post. Does he have to make that save? I don't know if he has to make that save, but I think you could have predicted that the way it was setting up, he was going to take that shot. And 
I don't know, just when you just tied the game, it seemed like the Flyers D was kind of loose on that, didn't it? Well, they, they didn't give him a good shift. They, they sunk everybody down low, and they got the right. puck high to Pollock, who you know walked in and just right. let an absolute clapper go. And you know he's got a 100-mile-an-hour one, so it's like, yeah. you know, what are you doing? You just literally just got the game tied. Did they think, and this is a worry, and this is, again, did the collective thoughts of the guys on the ice, were they kind of thinking towards overtime? Yeah. Yeah, we got it tied. We're good to go. Right. You got to put that next shift's got to be a good one. And, and the problem is, and a lot of people criticize Elaine Vino for who he had on the ice. I didn't criticize him for who he had up front on the ice because the guys he preferred to have out there were just out for two minutes to tie the game. Right. I didn't love the deep pairing, though. No. I, and I, who, who was it again? Because I'm trying to remember. Well, it, yeah, it was, it was Sanheim and, and uh, Myers. That's right. Yeah. And that's not your lockdown pairing for late in the game. No. And I mean, you obviously wanted to have Proveroff and Niskanen, but they were out there as well. Right. Um, but but that's the way. And look, if a guy like Pollock takes that shot from there and his accuracy is pinpoint like it was on that shot, not many goalies are going to stop that. You just no. can't. But Elliot's got to come out as far as he can there to make himself as big as possible to hope it hits him. Because that look, nobody's got the reaction time to stop a hundred mile an hour bomb like that. You just yeah. don't. And it's just an, it's another one of those killers because you lost to somebody you're chasing it's in your it's in your division and it and it's and it sets them back again with the row which definitely could come into play at some point yeah the thing about it too is if you would have won that game you're a point ahead of the islanders now you're three points back that's that's the you may not have lost a spot in the standings because you're still a wild card team because carolina didn't win that night and right it worked out that way but overall um, yeah, you got to come away with that with at least a point. And I've done so much complaining about the three point games of late. I'm not going to do it. I know. I, I know. just can't stop. I just, it, Russ, it's, it's to me, it's single handedly killing the last eight minutes of games. I'm not going to answer it because otherwise you'll, you'll continue. Yeah. Well, good point. Good job. <laughs> um, let's talk about the Zucker trade. Um, I think that Bill Guerin did what he had to do and did really well here. Cause if you go back to the summer, Zucker's name was out there. Everybody knows the Minnesota wild. were trying to trade him for Phil Kessel had to be an uncomfortable situation all year. Bill Guerin though, I thought they got a really nice return and what he, what everybody knew he had to do. And he traded with his mentor, Jimmy Rutherford. Yeah. And you know, they're tight and, and he was in the penguins organization from what I could tell. It seems like Rutherford initiated it and, Gave oh. him a, a, a good deal. And, you know, if you think about it, Garen was probably not quite ready to pull the plug yet. And he didn't pull the plug with the deal. And that's what the important thing I kept trying to tell people. It's like, well, you got Kalen Addison, who in a couple of years could be in the NHL and he could be a top four guy. So that's the top four defenseman. So that's that's a plus. You got a first round pick. It's conditional, but whatever. You got one. And and you got Galchenyuk, who, yeah, there's no more term left on his deal. But what if he, you know. Garen sort of takes him on the side and puts his arm around him and says, hey, kid, you know, I've been there. You could do this. Just do X, Y, and Z and don't worry about it. You know, they're still only four points back. If, if Galchenyuk were to get hot, which is not impossible, you wouldn't miss Zucker in the short term. So in the end, it really helps both. Pittsburgh gets a guy with three more years who gives that window, that continued window that Penguins have. And with, you know, with the Wild, it's like, hey, if they make the playoffs, great. But if they fall out, nobody could say, hey, Garen, you didn't go out and get assets when you should have because he did. Yeah. Can, can you explain to me how Jim Rutherford just keeps defying the postal service that's trying to deliver the credit card bill? 
I, you know, I thought it finally had happened a couple of years ago and it didn't. So more power to them. I think they have a great capologist there because that's a team that was in severe cap trouble, if you remember, a few years ago. And now they're in better cap shape than teams like the Flyers and other teams. So they've done a good job with that. Not everything's been perfect. Jack Johnson, you know, Galchenyuk. But if he's continually able to get out of trouble by making other deals, they can continue doing this. And they're definitely a Stanley Cup threat now. Yeah. Um, Zucker is a fit in Pittsburgh. You like the fit? I think the player yes. fit just seems obvious to me. Yeah, it's I a like real good one. And, and he's a guy that scores game-winning goals. He's a clutch player. Uh, so I do think it's a really good fit. Probably a good time for a change of scenery because, you know, he's, his name has been out there for a year and a half as far as getting dealt. So that would probably take the pressure off of that, too. Yeah. Does that grease the skids on some more deals getting done early here in the next uh, three, four days? It might. I mean, Rutherford always likes to get ahead of the market. We know he's that. definitely, yeah, he's definitely ahead of the market. But I also think that the Leafs getting Jack Campbell for as little as they did, even though they got Clifford in that deal, uh, may have killed the goalie market. So I'm not even sure Georgiev gets traded now. I think the Rangers roll with three, and they, you know, maybe they do something at the draft, but they still could roll with three into next year. They could. Well, I got a couple locations where Georgiev would be a real nice fit, though, and one of them is in the Metropolitan Division, and that would be with the Carolina Hurricanes. But are yeah, they going to trade him in division? No, they're not going to. Well, the Rangers might, but but the Carolina Hurricanes are not going to admit that their goalies aren't right. So now we're going to get a third. They're not. How can they not that. admit it though? I mean, look, you have Peter Morozik and James Reimer. This isn't like it, that's like me admitting I'm sh- not admitting I'm short. Right. But you're <laughs> you know not short. But you're not short probably compared to your grandparents. And I guess that would be the analogy, right? Because usually the grandparents are shorter than you are. So not the case. My my dad was six, five. Oh God. (laughs) Yeah. I got screwed, Russ. You really got screwed. My mom Um, was five foot. My dad had no hair. My mom's dad had a full head of hair. I got my dad's hair and my mom's height. (laughs) Sheesh. Yeah. You really, you, you had it tough there. No, I, I, at the end of the day, I, I really think that, um, it's interesting. All of it's interesting, man. It just is. Yeah. Um, you just mentioned that Minnesota is four points back. Um, they're four points back of the Arizona Coyotes, who, by the way, since they've traded for Taylor Hall, have won nine hockey games and lost 15. Is this a cautionary tale? Is this because of Taylor Hall or no. is this Kemper related? It's Kemper related. No, it's Kemper related and Ronta not being good enough. And, you know, I, I told you he's strictly a backup and, and really mm-hmm. – a backup that can't play as many games as he's been playing because you can't count on him too, too much. Uh, it's Kempler was really hot. Then he got hurt. Then he came back, but they, then they couldn't use him again. So that part has definitely hurt him because I think they would have taken the division. Now they're going to, you know, hopefully eke it out because they have enough. I don't think this is on Taylor Hall at all. And they now, you know, McKenzie reported Hall is not up on any kind of trade market which I didn't think he would be, but, you know, it was sort of out there. So he, he extinguished that pretty quickly. He probably got that from John Chica. So now they could just concentrate on making the playoffs, which I think they will. Yeah, I, well, I don't know if they unless do. Or Kettler's, they unless Kettler's out again, and then, then, it, then they're going to have a problem. Yeah, well, no question about it. We've seen um, how much that has hurt that team, and that's a team that plays a defensive style under Rick Tockett. Yeah. Um, speaking of goaltending, let's go to – all the way across the great North America and into British Columbia and talk about Vancouver and talk about Jacob Markstrom. 
a 49-save goose egg for the Vancouver Canucks as they beat the Chicago Blackhawks. What a performance by Jacob Markstrom. Yeah, he's a good goalie. I mean, we can go way back and say that, you know, the year he was drafted, I thought the Flyers would draft him or Carlson, but they traded for Steve Eminger. They traded that first-round pick. Yeah. So (laughs) how would the Flyers – had changed if they had gotten one of those two guys probably a lot but yeah you know that that's what happens but uh markstrom really is a level-headed guy nothing gets him down he has been through the ups and the downs he's a number one but he's not like a well above average number one i'd say he's an average number one who has the ability to to have some big games i also think chicago's all offense and you know if, if they're coming from behind they have a problem if they're trying to hold the lead they have a problem I don't think they make the playoffs. I think this is the kind of game that shows you they're not making the playoffs. So if they think they're buyers at the deadline, they're crazy. Yeah, I agree with you on that exactly. But the point about Markstrom is, is he's been this under-the-radar guy. He has. Because he's been playing in Vancouver. But, you know, in 17-18, he played 60 games, started 57 at a 9-12 save percentage and yeah. a 2-7-1 GAA on a not-very-good team. Last year, he played 60 again, had a 9-12 save percentage and a 2-7-7. Now, this year, he's already played in 44, got a 2-7-4 goals against, but a 9-18 save percentage and two shutouts. Um, he's really changing the fortunes of that team. And that team right there, you know, obviously with the Sedin's uh, retirement. Uh, so so Markstrom, Russ, with that 918 save percentage, he's got his team sitting at the top of the division in the Pacific. Is Vancouver a team that people in the Western Conference are going, I really don't want to see them in the playoffs? They don't. I mean, the way Quinn Hughes is playing, uh, the way that Markstrom's playing, they have Demko as a backup. They move the puck really well. Uh, Travis Green is a is a really top coach. Like this is a team that's got a lot of things going right. You know, like you mentioned the Sedins. You know, they had all their captains there yesterday, and I'm sure Bobby Lou is very happy with the way Markstrom's playing. You know, I know people who cover out of Vancouver, and you know they didn't think they'd be in this position. I thought they'd be like a bubble team, but I didn't think they'd make the playoffs. Push come the shove, but a lot of things have uh, gone on time for them. You know, Bertanen's doing well. So they're going to be buyers and they have cap room and, you know, good for them. I think, you know, they, this organization desperately needs that. And the Aquilini brothers got killed in the off season when people were saying, well, we don't think they're a playoff team, but they think they are. Well, you know, they got lucky here. Yeah. And to me, and we have actually a good amount of listeners that download the podcast in Vancouver. So hello, Vancouver. We love you out there. Keep listening. Um, (laughs) Thanks. I'm very happy about it. And, uh, Don't hold 1994 against me. Anyway, <laughs> well, that's Kirk McLean. Come on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> one of my favorite teams with. Who uh, later became a Ranger. I had to actually interview him and ask him all about the 94 stuff all over again because in the 2000s he became a Ranger. Well, I'm sure he was thrilled to do it after the Rangers won the Cup in 94. And but... Bory was Bory was on the team then, too. He came trotting through right around that same time, and he had to answer all those questions. It was funny. <laughs> um, real quick on the Sedins. Uh, yes. Dual Hall of Famers? Yes. It's going to take a few years? Yeah, it'll take a few years just because that's, you know, first ballot, they're in. I don't think there's any question. Put them both in together. It makes sense. That's the way it should be done. Yeah, I I agree. Talk about classy players. Yeah. Um, And guys that, look, they endured a decent amount of, 
uh, hate out there because of where they're from, which is odd in this day and age to think about. Yes, yes. Um, and the stigma, but both of those players, as classy as they come. And I love hearing Brian Burke talk about the acquisition yeah. and the ability to draft them. He takes none of the credit. I just love Brian and, uh, Burke. He's so good for the game. No, he is good for the game. And, you know, BX sort of cracked everybody up during the ceremony. I wasn't going to watch the whole thing. I mean, you know, but I, I did see a replay, some of it. And it was funny because I think he said Henrik has a candy addiction. I, I kind of laughed at that because I always take pictures with Swedish fish. So I was like, you know what? That's pretty funny. So they, he had some one funny thing stuff. you and Henrik have in common. Yes. Well, no, actually, but, but BXA named a different kind of candy, like the Swedish something, something. I have no idea what he was even talking about. How does he not like Swedish fish as a Swede? I know. Jeez. That's weird I know thing. that Lundqvist spoken... eats those before every game, I'm sure. No, I'm sure he doesn't. I've spoken, I've spoken to Swedes about it, and they like it, but they swear it's different where they are. Oh yeah, the mix, it's like the mix is different. Yeah, it's like a Philly cheesesteak in Kansas. Yeah, tastes like roadkill. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, uh, so we'll, well, we'll see if uh, Vancouver can make some noise in the uh, Western Conference playoffs. Um, they're certainly a team that uh, is really intriguing, and at some point, probably in about three years, this is going to be the, it's going to be the NHL, but it's going to be the National Hughes League. Yes, Boy, it these, really these will be. Two kids can skate so well. It's so. Watching Quinn Hughes play the sport of hockey is beautiful, frankly. Yeah, I mean, I, I look forward to the day where the Hughes brothers meet in the Stanley Cup. I think it'll happen one day. Yeah, you're, you're right. It absolutely could. Um, Russ, let me ask you about uh, the situation that happened uh, in Anaheim the other night with St. Louis and mm. the Anaheim Ducks and Joe, uh, um, Jay Bobeister collapsing on the bench, apparently of cardiac arrest. And yeah. just a tip of the cap to the entire medical staffs of both teams, trainers, getting uh, acting very quickly and not panicking and calm and probably saving Joe B uh, Jay Bomeister's life. Yeah, certainly seems that way. I know it's been downplayed a little bit because they said it was like a, a slight cardiac whatever. But then you do read that. Yeah, it does seem like he had a heart attack of sorts. And, you know, he's doing better now. And I don't expect to see him on the ice quickly at all. But you know, what really, when I saw it happening, the, the first thing that ran through my mind was, well, it's a good thing that this is the NHL and they have defibrillators everywhere because yeah. that's a really big deal where, you know, I still think of Alexei Cheropanov, right? I mean, that's, yeah. you know, that situation was sad. And just, I'm not even sure the KHL all have defibrillators now. Like, we, we never hear about it. So, yeah. but it's good that the NHL does and it shows that, yeah. Everybody acted quickly. I think it was Peter Angelo that waved him over quickly. You know, you saw the video. It was scary. I wasn't watching the game live. I'm glad Jay's okay. Um, but I imagine they're still running more tests on him. And so, yeah, I wouldn't rush him back. I, I imagine they're going to probably put a heart monitor on him when he's in practice for a while. Can he come back and play this year? I mean, it's possible. I mean, you know, somebody used the Bernie Sanders uh, analogy and said, well, he's back on the campaign trail and, you know, he got a, an artery cleared out. I don't even think he's, you know, Bowmeister may not even have to have that happen, but I think they want to be really sure of what caused it first. Yeah. And that's, yeah. And, and that's the, the part that you don't ever know. Right. And so once they know that, then I think they'll have it under control. I think there's a chance he'll play again this year. I do. Yeah. It, definitely a scary situation oh, yeah. that goes well beyond the game. And yes. The, and the they way, postponed the game, and that was the right yeah, decision. Yeah, you know, it, it absolutely was. You just, I don't know how you ask players from Anaheim and ask St. Louis Blues when their teammate and their brother, uh, you know, 
goes down like that in such a scary way. I mean, I finish think, a hockey game with two and a half periods left. Yes, I think the time that the only major league baseball player to ever die in the field died, I think they finished that game. Oh my goodness! I think they did. Yeah. Well, I mean, of course, you remember the Clint Malarchuk situation where his jugular vein was yeah. cut, and the fact that the guy was a paramedic who was working on the ice crew, and the fact that the Zamboni door was right behind at the end of the ice where he is saved his life. Oh, yeah. Talk about the happenstance there. A lot of times the Zam's in the corner, or you could be at the far end. If yep. he's at that other end at a different period, it could have been lights out for Clint Malarchuk. Yes. And it's pretty. That's it's one of the more amazing stories too. I did see Brendan Perlini got his nose cut with a skate, and often my wife would say, "How come guys don't get cut more with skates? Like it just seems like it's so dangerous." I gotta say, this year the skate cuts are up. Yeah. Well, you saw one in the Flyers game against the uh, against uh, the Islanders yeah. the yeah. other night. It got cut right on the knee. Yeah, Zekas did. And yeah, he's, and he's out for like four to six. Yeah, and when these guys get cut, like the guys. Their, their skate blades are so sharp now. It's unbelievable. I, I mean, they get them done in between every period, so they never dull. And I'm cringing. Guys are getting like, cut I'm at like three-eighths. Yeah. yeah, I'm cringing to think about it. If, you, if people want to look online and see the picture of Brendan Perlini, man, it's it's scary. scary. I, I mean, these guys, you know, they to them, it's like they'll laugh it off and they'll have the battle scars. But me, I'd yeah. be petrified. Yeah, no question about it. Well, it's going to be an interesting week in hockey, Russ, as we get closer and closer to the deadline. We'll see who decides to be active, who decides to be passive, and we'll ultimately find out if any of these additions, as I've long argued, if they will have any true effect on who hoists Lord Stanley's Cup. Well, one of them already has. One of them already has. Jack Campbell has. He's already won, like, three games, and he's already— They waved Hutchison, too, yeah. Yeah, and they waved Hutchison, so— It'll only take like two, two more starts for him to have more points than Hutchinson did in the last month. Yeah. So that'll well, matter. Well, imagine if Toronto doesn't make the playoffs. Oof. Boy, that oh boy, disaster. is that fan base going to have a meltdown? Oh yeah, it'll be disastrous. And and that is a deserved meltdown from a fan base that spent so much money up front and has ignored the back end at least until now. All yep. right, Russ, that's going to put a wrap on episode sixty-nine. Some of your best work as always. Everybody, enjoy your hockey, and we'll talk to you next time on the Stick to Hockey Podcast. Can you hear me? Hear me screaming?